You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you're new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Even though we're discussing primarily episode six, we will be discussing it in the context of the entire first season. So if you have not seen the first 10 episodes, beware that there are spoilers ahead. And as Stephanie just mentioned, we're talking about episode six of the first season of Orphan Black, Variations Under Domestication. The one episode whose title I've really got under my belt because it makes so much sense. <laughs> exactly. And, and of course, it's it's been helpful doing this week by week because I feel like I am better remembering the episode titles. Me too. So but they do make it kind of tricky that they have episode four being effects of external conditions and then episode five being conditions of existence. That makes it easy to mix them up. I suppose. Yes. So like we mentioned last week, this week we have yet another kind of genre switch. This week it kind of feels like a, a zany comedy slash rom-com going on. With hints of, like, torture film. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it definitely has a dark... It's a dark zany comedy, but... <laughs> But I, I actually when when I was watching this the the season through the first time, I didn't really like this episode. I I felt really? like having I know I felt like having everybody emerge on Allison's house was a little too convenient. But then when I sort of on rewatches, it's become one of my favorite episodes because I kind of let go of that fact. I'm like, okay, I think like they're kind of maybe doing a bit of an homage to zany comedies where you have like. The entire mess emerges all in one place at the end of the film, and oh my gosh, wackiness ensues. So I think that's kind of a purposeful wink and nod type of thing, and I've kind of gotten over that. <laughs> mm -hmm. There is lots of sort of playing with genres, as we've mentioned many times. So, mm -hmm. But yeah, Sarah still has a very big part to play in this episode, but this episode's a lot more focused on Allison and Kasima, and, and I really like getting spending more time in sort of their worlds with them that, that we get in this episode. Right. And it's sort of interesting to me, since this is episode six, it's basically the first episode of the second half of the season. So I think that's sort of interesting, I guess, that they chose that as the the point at which they switched focus from solely being on Sarah. So far, we've we've gotten like a decent amount of Allison, but really only tiny bits and pieces of Kasima. So I feel like this is the first big dose of sort of Kasima and Kasima's world that we that we get as far as the series is concerned at this point. Right. Well, and so far we've sort of gotten more bits and pieces of Allison. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, more than Kasima, but yeah, just just by 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 virtue of Allison's proximity to Sarah, we've seen more of Allison than we have of Kasima. But but yeah, we haven't spent spent this this length of time in her world like we do in this episode. Right. The focus has always been squarely on Sarah. So, mm -hmm. but yes, in in the last episode, we got Allison buying herself a spy cam nanny cam type situation and setting it up in her jewelry box, which you know it seemed kind of obvious the way she had it in her jewelry box, but I guess. Maybe Donnie's not terribly observant. <laughs> well, she tried to to hide the fact that it was cracked open with the the necklace coming out of the jewelry box. I don't know. I think she did an okay job. Okay. I mean, it was okay, obviously. It, it, it seems to be perfectly fine, but I, I just kind of always am amused at that for some reason. But yes, we, we get the 
opening sequence of Allison checking the footage from the thing. So we've we've got basically Donnie walking around in his underpants and a t-shirt and like somewhat creepily standing next to the bed and staring at her. But I, I wonder why she didn't maybe get a longer memory card. Like, I, know. I don't know. Maybe she didn't think to ask the clerk for how long it would record, but it, it, it you know, cause it stopped, I think around 6am or so. And I don't know. I feel like she would have had a better sense of, I usually sleep for about this many hours and maybe I should actually record for that many hours. Right. But what you going to do? So do you, do you buy Donnie's story about getting up to watch cricket? I, I do. I kind of feel like she thought there might be was something nefarious going on. And while we do learn later that he is her monitor, I don't think that's what she caught him doing in this circumstance. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't see any reason to think that he wasn't doing that. Although, when was it that he burned the letters? When was that supposed Prior to, or to that. what he what he claimed to be the letters? Prior to that, okay, it, it was definitely before they went to bed. We saw him do that before they went to bed that night. That's right. Okay, but yeah, I because I think that's what it was. I think watching week to week when I was watching that, I was wondering because I couldn't remember from the prior week when it was in relation to the rest of the episode when he'd done that. So I think that had always been in my mind, like, was that what he was doing? But, but yeah, it's entirely possible that he was just watching TV downstairs. And I feel like this is when I was watching this episode for the first time, it was just like, Oh my gosh, Allison has cracked. (laughs) And I kind of don't, don't blame her, but it, it, you know, we saw sort of like this building of, Allison's neuroticism and paranoia and it gets sort of amped up by this idea of somebody's watching her and it just sort of comes to a head at the beginning of this episode and it then connects with Donnie's head in the form of a golf club. <laughs> I remember, yeah, the the whole episode, you're just kind of, the entire time, you're, I can't believe this is happening. Because, mm-hmm. you know, on most normal shows, I would think that it wouldn't really play out this way. <laughs> Probably not. It probably would not get to the point where somebody would would hit their spouse across the face with a golf club. And then put torture a, them with hot glue. <laughs> well, I was going to go for the intermediate step of her putting the hockey helmet on him and then like shoving him down the stairs. <laughs> Though on rewatch, I wonder if she actually meant for him to fall down the stairs that way or if she just didn't realize how heavy he would be and lost her grip. Oh, I totally took it that she didn't mean for that okay. to happen. Okay. It seemed like she was going to try and gently guide him down the stairs. But yeah, he just kind of kind of slipped and kept going. Right. She, she looked fairly dismayed, I think. Yeah, because while while Allison is clearly very fit, she's a small woman and Donnie's a big guy. So I think she just sort of didn't realize he'd be quite that heavy with gravity added to the situation. Right. That's always how I took it. Okay. Because the first time I saw it, I think I thought she kind of did it on purpose. But subsequently, I don't think she did. I think it was kind of an accident. Right. But at least she had the the forethought to put the helmet on him before doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, protect his head after whacking him across the face with a golf club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Details. She didn't want him to be further concussed. <laughs> I'm always surprised that Donnie is okay as he is after that. After getting hit 
in the head with the golf club because you'd think that would do some more damage unless she mm-hmm. unless she uh pulled her punches so to speak i and i really like that we see allison and sarah's relationship kind of has become cemented because it's sarah that allison calls when she needs help i mean granted it had to be one of the clones because who else was she going to call in in regards to, you know, I hit this guy across the face because I think he's my monitor and Sarah's the closest. But I, I kind of feel like Sarah reaches or sorry, Allison reaches out to Sarah in that moment kind of as a friend, e- even though it had to be a clone as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's also an element. I mean, you know, Sarah kind of owes her because right. Allison helped her with Kira and you know, she she knows that Sarah's past is kind of shady, I think. So in terms of... This is in her wheelhouse. <laughs> yes, I think that's what's going through Allison's mind at the at the time. In addition right. to actually, yeah, sort of having no other choice. But in, and then in, but I feel like in Sarah's response to her, especially after Allison passes out, uh, you know, there's this moment between sarah and felix where sarah tells felix you know we gotta fix this for her and it it just it feels kind of nice this episode it feels like sarah's kind of coming to sympathize with allison and they're kind of forming a real relationship and not just a relationship out of necessity right i think the phrase is pull allison's life out of the fire or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah and yeah i i like that too that i think this is something we've seen throughout the series that we sort of see various clones getting a better understanding of the other clones by being them. Mm-hmm. You know, because, I mean, that is, you know, the, there's the phrase, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. It's a thing for a reason, you know? Yeah, right. So, But yeah, Allison definitely gets a better sense of Sarah when she pretends to be her in episode three. And now, definitely, I think Sarah gets a better sense of Allison's life here. Right, and there's the great moment, too, where she is talking to Donnie or or Donnie is ranting at Allison and Sarah snaps <laughs> and uh puts Donnie in his place. Yeah, she I Sarah's protectiveness her protective hackles come up and and she she protects Allison against Donnie and and I really like that moment. But she stays in character when she does it, which is impressive. Yep. Even though she's talking about Allison in the third person, she still re- maintains sort of Allison's persona, so it works. Right. Oh, that's such a good moment, though. <laughs> Another great moment, of course, is is Sarah comforting drunk Allison. And I think we really have Allison's insecurities about what it means to her to find out she was a clone come out in this scene. We we have her say a couple of things like, you're the only person I could talk to and you're just another version of me. And she she says, you know, I'm not even a real person. And and again, we've mentioned before, the, the idea of finding out that they're clones really seems to have obliterated Allison's sense of self more than any of the other clones. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's sort of interesting. I think this is something that's been talked about by the show's creators that I think to some extent, everybody has in their mind that they're special. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, because I mean... It's something you're always told, you know, there's only one you. And while that's still true for the clones, I think it just sort of depends on your mindset how you take that. You know what I mean? Right. Because Cosima still doesn't seem to have any issues with this clone thing. I mean, I think maybe in Cosima's mind, 
it's actually kind of cool <laughs> in a right. weird way. And uh, Sarah, she's her own best science project. Yeah, and and Sarah's suddenly got all this family that she's always wanted. So I mean, not that Sarah necessarily thinks it's some great thing, but at least there's that to it, right? And I, I think Allison's sense of self is just completely thrown off by this because, as we've talked about before several times, that Allison seems to really be all about this life that you're supposed to have, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is just completely out of left field. So, so yeah, you can kind of see how that would screw with your sense of self, I guess. Mm-hmm. The other aspect of the scene where Sarah is comforting drunk Allison is that is such a technically complicated scene to put together. I still don't really know how they pulled that off because you have, you have clones touching each other because Sarah pats Allison's thigh and it's, it's a good thigh pat. Like if you really look at it, they cheated it really well. It looks like she's touching Allison's thigh. And they're sitting really close together. There's not that usual big demarcation of separation so they can easily take out the the double and and paint in somebody else or, or something like that. And then there's even the shadow of Sarah's hand on Allison's sweater as she's reaching to take away Allison's glass of wine. I'm just like, how did they put that scene together? I would love to see all of the pieces that went into putting this scene together. I have theories, but no actual knowledge. As do I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either way, it's still like really, really complicated and involved. And kudos to them for doing that. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. who managed that. And this is a TV show, y'all. Just think about that. This is a television show. And they're pulling off these really complicated effect shots on a television show. It's just mind-blowing to me how good the the clone stuff how 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 well they managed to do the clone doubling in this series. It's mind-blowing. And you know they don't have HBO money. Right. They're they're a lower budget Canadian show. They're filming on a you know a tighter schedule than like a film would have. So it's just big kudos to Orphan Black for scenes like this one. Great job. Indeed. So we get a little background information on Donnie and Allison's relationship, which allows for some speculation as to how Donnie became a monitor. Because, you know, Sarah convinces Allison that Donnie's probably not her monitor because he's just kind of this schlubby guy. Allison's known him since high school. Eating, farting Donnie. Exactly. But Donnie does mention that they, they broke up at least twice. And so we kind of speculate maybe... He was recruited at one of those points when they were broken up, perhaps? I obviously don't know. I'm I'm curious about it. No, I know you know. (laughs) I'm just... Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I guess they could have been together together when when Donnie was recruited. But if there was something they were using to blackmail Donnie with, it feels like that might have happened while they were broken up. Otherwise... You know, I don't know. It feels like that would have stood out as a red flag to Allison. Mm-hmm. Although one kind of wonders, because they seem to have plenty of cash, that family. And I mean, we don't know what Donnie does. Maybe Donnie's got some super fancy job. But part of me wonders if if they're actually just getting paid off or something. It's possible. 
But Paul also seems to be pretty well off, and he has kind of a ambiguous job. So that might come with being a monitor, is you get you get compensated pretty well. Right. But I'm just saying that maybe they didn't need to blackmail him because they're bribing him, basically. Right, right. So do you think that Donnie manages to sell the audience on his story about the box having letters from an ex-love? It seems like maybe some people kind of might have bought it if if they were wondering if Donnie was really a monitor at the end of the first season. I mean, I assume that it was at least semi-successful because as we talked about last episode, you know, I, I remember seeing a lot of reactions like Donnie was a monitor. Like people seemed kind of surprised. So either either they forgot or Donnie managed to convince them. Because of course, part of the thing too is that they not only gave Donnie an excuse, but they provided an alternate possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still suspicious, I think, that he's on the phone when he's burning the letters. Oh, I think so, too. But, you know, I, I, I guess if you, especially since they don't really mention it again for several episodes, you could start to think, well, maybe he was talking to a buddy of his or something like that. I don't know. Or uh, So I, 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 I will say I feel like I feel really sorry for Donnie, actually, at the end of the episode. He just seems like so small and kind of beaten down quite literally when he's in bed at the end, he's like hugging a pillow to his chest. And I actually kind of feel sorry for Donnie in that, in that moment. So I think he does a pretty good job selling Allison on his lie. Right. Well, it does end with him snuggling Allison Mm -hmm. sort of sobbing in her lap. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, kudos to Donnie for pulling that off. Yeah. (laughs) After the earlier torture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course, Allison probably feels guilty for the torture. Yeah. Yeah. And kudos to Christian Brune. I, I like Christian Brune throughout the series, but I think he's really great in this in this episode. Right. Well, this episode really is sort of Donnie's showcase moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. So we have Allison's life in crisis because she snaps and hits her husband across the face. So, you know, that's kind of of her own making. But we're also having Sarah's lies catch up with her. And and happening to sort of catch up with her at Allison's house, which is only adding to the mess because she's got both both Paul and Vic after her in this episode. And Paul in this episode is is in his Terminator mode, as I like to call it. And I actually kind of prefer Paul in Terminator mode. I think I like Paul best in this episode, which maybe sounds weird. <laughs> That's interesting. That's very interesting. I, but I feel like Paul works as in Terminator mode. Like, I feel like he works really well as a character when he, he snaps into like soldier, you know, executing the plan, tying up loose ends. I feel like he really works as a character in this, in this mode. Mm-hmm. That sort of cold, dispassionate soldier mode, yeah. as you say. Yeah. So we see him crushing up pills and, and putting them, mixing them in whiskey. He's covering his bases with Olivier, telling him that, that Beth is spiraling into depression again. We see that he's put a, a tracker on Beth's car. And then, of course, there's the kind of terrifying scene where he beats up and then puts a nail through through Vic's hand. That scene, man. Every time... That's another one of those. If you're watching it with some people who haven't seen it before, that's another one where they, they just... They cringe. Understandably. And I forget about the initial beating up part. This is like 
because last episode we see we see Vic having a bad day, getting his finger chopped off and then maced and tased. And here he gets both beat up and gets a nail through his hand. Uh, and, and and also poor dad, he gets beat up. This is like the episode of, of kind of helpless men getting beat up. <laughs> it kind of is. And it's it's the comedy episode. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, show. <laughs> but I, I also am sort of impressed with Paul, the way that he intervenes with Vic in the bedroom, mm-hmm. the kind of persona that he comes up with. Yeah, that, that was I, I thought that was interesting that Paul tells Vic, she works for me, you talk to me. Because I mean, the whole time up to this point, we've been worried for Sarah, since he'd figured out that Sarah wasn't Beth. And he's, you know, making these sort of plans in the event that he needs to kill her. Mm-hmm. And he's tracking her and, you know, he's been a, a figure of menace the entire episode. And suddenly he's in protector mode. And I don't know, it's it's sort of an interesting moment. And I, I sh- you know, I think Paul shows a real sense of intelligence in that moment. He susses out sort of just from watching them on camera, he susses out the relationship between Sarah and Vic and kind of what's going on. And the best way for him to intervene is like, no, 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 you're, she's not your partner anymore. She works for me now. You got to deal with me. And um, it's it's an interesting moment for Paul, I think, because we, we've had a sense of him previously in this episode as kind of a I, I don't know. He, it's it's more about sort of like military precision and 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 things like that. But this is a real sort of moment of, he, you know, he he basically is cutting a con in this moment, and I don't know that I really expected Paul to do that. Right. I was just thinking as you were talking about this that really that scene sort of shows him being a good match to Sarah, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised. He's essentially been conning Beth this entire time as as her monitor. Mm-hmm. But but I don't know. I guess I just didn't expect him to think quite that well on his feet. But he really does. Mm-hmm. Again, being a good match for Sarah. Mm-hmm. So I know we talked about this in the monitors episode, but but it's still I bothering wanted, you. But it's still bothering me, and I and I wanted to bring it up again to see if if our listeners had any ideas. But I still the thing about this episode that really is just ugh, it's stuck in my teeth and just annoying me is the fact that Paul switches off so easily at the end of the episode when Sarah says, "Clones, you're watching clones," and he's just like, "Okay, I'm not going to kill you." I still think that that's Paul thinking that answer is so insane that it has to be true and hey finally some honesty somebody telling me something directly i i I don't know i i think that's paul being glad to actually have something that sounds like it's crazy enough to be the truth (laughs) does that make sense it does it does but i don't know it's just it feels like he's because he's he was planning to kill her and make it look like a suicide. That's a pretty final. I know I'm, decision, that... and and he backs off from that, and and he backs off off from that a lot. We see in episode seven. Yeah, <laughs> when we have Smooshy Moosey House Cat Paul over. <laughs> Indeed, but we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, we will. So yeah, listeners, if you have any thoughts, I would love to hear them as to why you feel Paul is willing to sort of abandon 
his very carefully laid plans to to kill Sarah and make it look like a suicide or an overdose. So so please let me know. I do think it's sort of relief at getting a straight answer because I imagine Olivier's been giving him the runaround, or or maybe they're just not allowed to ask any questions. I don't know. Obviously, let me speculate for an hour. No. <laughs> So this this episode kind of puts Vic out of the picture, and I believe we don't see him again until the end of the season, until until Art and Angie go looking for him. Am I correct? I honestly don't remember. You don't remember? I feel like this is the last we see of of Vic for a while, and and you know, so we have very pathetic Vic retreating to lick his wounds. But I love his little last moment of his like last ditch effort of trying to talk to Sarah and she just shuts the garage in his face as one does. Mhm. But yeah, poor poor Vic doesn't have a good hand anymore. No. No. Cuz cuz not only does does he get a nail through the hand, he gets a nail through his good hand. Paul couldn't have have nail gunned the one where he was already missing the finger. No, no, no. We have to make him completely incapacitated hand-wise. Yep. Of course, I say poor Vic. I don't really feel that sorry for him. <laughs> I don't really feel that sorry for him either, but he is pretty pathetic. It's like, oh, man, you're just kind of pathetic at the end here. Yep. But I do not really have all that much sympathy for him. It is true. Right. Sort of better pathetic Vic than Vic as he was at the uh, premiere. Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, we finally got an actual storyline for Cosima, aside from just popping in and giving us bits of information about stuff. So yeah, we, we get the scene where she's in the library on the phone with Sarah. And so conveniently, she's talking to Sarah about the experiment being a double blind. And so probably if there's a monitor, they, they might not know what it is that they're supposed to be monitoring. And as soon as she says that, oh, look, it's Delphine. <laughs> and I immediately go, gee, I wonder if Delphine's really a monitor. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's interesting about Delphine that she is not part of the double blind. She knows that she's looking after a clone. And granted, we don't have a, a definite sense of if Donnie knows Allison is a clone or not. I, I think it's reasonable to believe he doesn't. But but definitely Paul was not told. We don't get a sense that Donnie knows. But Delphine knows that she's looking after a clone. Right. And I just find that interesting that the Cosima got a monitor who knew she was a clone. Yep. Of course, I, I guess in some sense, and I think we talked about this in the monitors episode too, that I, I sort of realized at some point that they really did match up the monitors to the clones. Mm -hmm. So Paul and Beth are both law enforcement types. And actually, right. as I just mentioned, and as we sort of find out, he's really personality-wise, much more suited to Sarah, mm -hmm. conveniently. Right. But um, yeah, and, and so pairing a scientist with a scientist, it, it kind of makes sense. S since the whole time, Kasim is the one who's sort of got the whole situation sussed out anyway, it would be best to have someone paired with her who also knows the score. And as we find out later, Delphine even knows her barcode. Oh my gosh, it's the most romantic thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so in the conversation where Kasim is talking to Sarah about suspecting Delphine might be a monitor, 
I feel like Cosima has an interesting reaction to when Sarah tells her, you know, just sort of stay away. Paul's a badass. You don't know who this woman is. You're best just sticking to the science and, and staying away from the monitor. And, and like, Cosima gets her hackles up. She's like, do as I say, not, not as I do. And I find her reaction kind of interesting. And, and I was wondering what your, your take on it was, why she's so sort of resistant to the idea of leaving Delphine alone. Well, do you think it's just hormones? <laughs> Is it the hair? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the killer grades. Um, okay. Also, what amuses me so much about this exchange, it's so siblingy, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, you know, Sarah's trying to be the protective older sibling. Don't do this thing that I'm doing because it's dangerous if you're going to try to do it. <laughs> and Kasima's, of course, being rebellious about the whole thing. Well, how come you can do it, but I can't do it? Yeah. It, it's very siblingy to me. Right. Because I feel like Sarah's not being unreasonable. I feel like Sarah's giving her good advice because it's not like when she got into the situation with Paul that she knew what was happening. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not like she actively pursued a relationship with a monitor the way that Cosima does. Right. And of course, Cosima the whole time is like telling herself all these things like, well, if she is a monitor, I'm she doesn't know I know that she's a monitor, so I can monitor the monitor. <laughs> it's like coming up with these rationalizations, as one yeah. does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that Tatiana Maslany has talked about a lot, that, you know, Cosima, for being so smart, intellectually, is sort of emotionally, emotionally dumb in that moment. You know, she's, she's sort of elected to leave a blind spot there i guess as as one does sometimes when when one just wants something so desperately you know mhm mm but i i do think that definitely kasima was intrigued by the, by the idea of sarah sleeping with paul and in the previous episode she makes you know her comment dude that's complex and and so i think that's part of it. it's like she's attracted to delphine and she knows sarah has kind of had a thing with paul and maybe i can do it too and it'll be okay pretty <laughs> she's much really attractive <laughs> and the killer grades and the killer grades who can resist the killer grades and enchanté <laughs> <laughs> And we have her, again, being charming with the French when, you know, bonjour, Cosima, when she comes up. <laughs> There's something about French, man. It's very charming. Is that why you took French? That is partially why I took French. I, I do find French, I find fr French to be a very sexy language. Like, I know a little bit of Spanish, too, and I like Spanish. I think Spanish is very beautiful, but it doesn't quite have the sexiness that French does for me, personally. Well, for talking about... Revealing of personality through languages we took. I took Latin in high school. <laughs> so there you go. Dead, useless language. <laughs> it's not useless. I shouldn't say that. It's, it's not, not really gonna, not useless. I was going to call you out, but but then you called yourself out. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is not useless, but at the same time, you can't exactly go pick a lot of people up with Latin. Well, I mean, actually, that's not true. You can pick certain people up with Latin, I'm quite sure. And maybe that's the type of person you want to date, in which case you picked the right language. <laughs> Scientists. Scientists you could probably pick up with Latin. 
So speaking of picking up scientists, we have so much flirting in this episode. There's the, the eye flirting and like the hand holding and the arm linking and, and the leaning toward each other and the cheek kissing. And watching this episode, I'm like, why is Delphine so surprised when Cosima kisses her in the next episode? You know, do you think she's just in denial? I don't know. It's possible. I think some people are just kind of like that, though. True. In all fairness, it doesn't necessarily mean anything beyond, you know, liking somebody. I mean, in that generally speaking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and there is there is the cultural differences, like like within in France, the the kiss on the cheek is is a common greeting amongst friends. It does not have to be a sexy thing. Though I think she does actually kiss her on the cheek, if I'm remembering correctly. Like her lips touch her cheek, and that's not common. Usually your cheeks touch and you kind of kiss the air. Yeah, it seemed like her face was on her face. Yeah, but I think her face was on her face. So that's a little more romantic-y than just a social greeting. True. Oh, also in a similar vein, I noticed during Dr. Leakey's lecture, they kept showing Delphine and Cosima. And Delphine did that thing that I think most people do where or if you watch a movie with one of your friends... <laughs> And like every time there's a good part, you sort of like check your friend <laughs> for their What'd reaction. What you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Like you, with the excited look on your face, you're, cause, you know, like the whole eagerness thing going on. Mm-hmm. Delphine mm-hmm. was totally doing that during Leaky's lecture, and it's very cute. It is cute. So we, so we have we have the science girlfriends being super cute in this episode, and one of my favorite moments is is definitely when they're running through the archway, you know. The jogging, as Delphine would say, and and the the strains of the of uh, it's the cardigans, right? That it song. Is. It is the cardigans with the you know love me, love me playing over over their jogging, and and you you pointed out in our when we were making the show notes that that is a, an appropriate little little lyric to be playing over their their jogging. Well, it's love me, love me, fool me, fool me, exactly. because the song is love fool, and mm-hmm. like how. Oh, perfect. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's just, just one of the great 90s pop tunes that we get in this episode. And and I, I think it's interesting how the soundtrack from Allison's life bleeds over onto Cosima's storyline, but the, the, the lyric in the song is just still so perfect for that moment. Mm-hmm. Good job, music department. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have, of course, they attend the Leaky Talk, which introduces the idea of, of neolucinism. And, and the Dyad Institute, which we, we learn later seems to be the organization that's running, at least partially running the experiments with the clones. And, and Leakey's describing neolutionism as self-directed evolution. And I, in this viewing, I noticed that when we come back to Delphine and Cosima at the talk before they go and introduce themselves to Leakey, they're, they're talking about what exactly does this mean? And Delphine is saying, oh, no, 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 neolucinism isn't eugenical. So I thought that was a, an interesting comment or, or interesting discussion that they're having about what is the, what does it mean, this idea that we can direct where our evolution goes? Mm-hmm. So eugenical, uh, uh, adjective form of the idea of eugenics, which is the idea that you can call out what's considered to be undesirable traits in a population. So, like a um, Hitler's regime in, in Nazi Germany to only have blonde haired, blue eyed people, those considered to be sort of the, the pinnacle of, of the, 
the white race, that's eugenical, this idea that there are traits that should be preferred to other traits. Right. The whole controlled breeding thing. Yeah. So, of course, the episode ends on Delphine dressed all all sexy, going into a hotel room with Leaky. So they, they really did not waste any time establishing, yeah, Delphine's a monitor. Like, they, they didn't try to string that mystery out at very long at all. Which I'm kind of glad for. Because, yes. I mean, as as I said, when Cosima's walking through the library talking about monitors and how she thinks Delphine's probably a monitor. And then Delphine's like, oh, let's go talk to Dr. Leakey. I mean, you kind of saw it coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see the scene at the end coming with Dr. Leakey in the hotel room, which still makes me so uncomfortable, that scene. I know. It does me, too, because I'm not entirely sure if Delphine is into it. See, I think the first time I saw it, I thought she maybe was, because, again, I'd been suspicious of her the whole time since she showed up, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the because I was suspicious of her, I was kind of like, you know, darn it, or I knew it, or some combination of all of those things the, mm-hmm. the first time. But yeah, upon rewatch, with the context of the rest of the season, and, and like really studying her expressions during that scene, it looks to me like she's sort of not totally okay with it. Yeah, I'm still a bit confused on her feelings toward Leaky in that regard. Yes, the nature of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. And in case you're wondering, I actually meant to mention in the last episode what I could parse of what Delphine says in French, but the the little exchange that Leaky and Delphine have in the hotel room, it's nothing all that riveting. Basically, Leaky says, oh, how did it go? Or how's it going? And Delphine replies, good, I think. So that's it, in case you're wondering. I, I saw that in your notes, or, or the the quote here, and... I was like, I don't remember that exchange happening. And then I, I rewatched it. And I, oh, because it's in French. And I, I didn't understand anything except for good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, he says something, Leaky says something initially that I don't, I still don't quite understand. Matt Furrer's accent isn't very good. I actually should, I'm not judging. My accent is horrible. But he says something like Dien or something like that. And I don't exactly know what he's, what he's saying in that moment. But then I believe he says, comment va-t-elle? And, and then she replies, bien, je crois. So basically, how's it going? Good, I think. Good to know. But nothing all that riveting. So yeah, and then there's Felix. And, you know, his first scene in the episode, it's like, oh, look, it's Teddy. I kind of like Teddy, even though Teddy doesn't get any lines. I, I kind of find Teddy adorable. Yes. Well, he just seems so happy. <laughs> yes. And I like seeing Felix in like his, his kind of like domination outfits, you know, his like sexy see-through shirt with his whip. I think he looks very, I don't know, very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning a lot about you this episode. <laughs> and I, I also like that when they're on the phone, Felix and Sarah are on the phone while he's with Teddy, Sarah you know, oh, are you with the morgue attendant guy again? And Felix is like, no, but I will be. So <laughs> even though Sarah kind of disapproves, I like that Felix is, is that, nope, I like Colin. I'm going to see him again. <laughs> it's the episode where nobody listens to anything listens to Sarah, Sarah says. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Sarah very rarely listens to anything anybody else says. So it's, it's, it's fair. It's a family trait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yes, and then, of course, the reason Sarah's calling is to tell Felix to come help her with Allison's situation that Allison has created for herself, and to dress suburban. And I crack up when he steps out of that taxi because he looks like he's going yachting. (laughs) Yes, I love Felix's concept of what it means to look suburban. I especially love the way that he does his hair. Yes. What is that hair? I don't even... I don't know. He pulls it off because he's Felix, but... It's not my favorite of his hairstyles, but well, no. it definitely, it definitely, he makes it work in his own way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and I also crack up that he has trouble differentiating between Sarah and Allison. I think that's kind of interesting that it takes him a minute to, actually, it takes Sarah telling him that she's Sarah <laughs> when she, when she comes upstairs at the party. Yeah, yeah, she has to remind him that she's her twice. When he first gets there, she he thinks she's Allison. And then later on, when she comes upstairs to the party, he thinks she's Allison again. Although I love that the first time she opens the door and basically she laughs at him. Laughs and at that's, him. <laughs> that's how he knows it's Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do like Sarah just completely cracking up at, at Felix's outfit. To go yachting. <laughs> We also have Chad, the introduction of Chad, Ainsley's husband, and it always makes me giggle that he thinks it's awesome that Felix is a gay bartender. Yes. I did notice, too, this time that, uh, you know, Felix tells him that he's going to go put the ice away or whatever, and, and I'll be back to top you up, he says. And I noticed this time, Chad is not holding a drink. <laughs> yes, he's not. Because <laughs> I know some people in fandom have kind of speculated if, if Chad might be... Um, bisexual or something like that because he's he's so enthusiastic about Felix being a gay bi- bartender. I don't know that I get that vibe, but I do think it's it's kind of interesting and a bit endearing of of a kind of a a character we don't see all that much, but it's it is kind of endearing to see Chad be like, "That's awesome, gay bartender." Yeah. I think that is like the most endearing moment Chad has in the episode because the rest of the time he's being kind of a creepy perv. Yes, indeed. And just, like, incredibly disrespectful to his wife. <laughs> yes. And we hear about how Ainsley thinks he's having an affair again, or whatever it is she says. <laughs> I do feel kind of bad for Ainsley. I do feel bad for Ainsley in this episode. Of course, we find I, out later that it's, you know, she's not so innocent either, but... Right, right. <laughs> Oh, the intervention. So, yeah, we have the reintroduction of Ainsley. We'd seen her briefly before when she gives Felix a hard time being parked outside of, of Allison's house wearing that coverall. I don't even know what she's wearing. I think it, they it were ridiculous. Like, like onesie pajamas, I think is kind of what they were. <laughs> Why you would but, walk the dog in your onesie pajamas, I don't know. But, yeah. but and, and, you know, by the end of this episode... Felix is kind of convinced that maybe one of the other folks in in Allison's life is is actually her monitor rather than rather than um Donnie and I they actually do a decent job suggesting that Ainsley might be a monitor here. They have a couple of of moments where she gives the camera kind of or she doesn't look at the camera, but the camera catches her doing kind of like a shady look and she's very much, you know, following Allison a lot in this episode and kind of taking care of her. Right. Well, because I think Allison mentions first that to to quote her, it's like, 
oh, one of those bitches up there must be my monitor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or it's probably one of those bitches up there, I think is what she says. And then at some point, Sarah's talking to Felix and Felix is like, oh, it's definitely Ainsley. But I I do also really love the moment where Ainsley just wants to have a good heart to heart with Allison, but but it's Sarah she's actually talking to. And I love the look on Sarah's face like, oh my God, I really have to do this. (laughs) Also in that scene, I love that Ainsley kind of, you know, she's sort of leading the conversation there. And when Sarah doesn't immediately Uh respond, Ainsley scoots over And then kind of gives this, like, puppy dog look to the space next to her, like, sit down. <laughs> yes. So, yes, Ainsley. We will see more of, of Ainsley. And, oh, something that, that stuck out to me in this in this episode is when Paul is going to talk to Olivier. And Paul says, you know, I just want to make sure that if something bad happens to Beth, that's not going to come down on me. And Olivier's response to that is that as as long as your subject makes her own choices, there is no wrong decision. And this, I think, is hinting toward the sort of social experiment aspects of what's going on with the clones. This idea that they, the monitors are not to interfere. They're just supposed to watch. They're supposed to monitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we get to that scene, I'm always like, way to bury the lead, Paul. <laughs> Right? I mean, if you're planning to kill somebody and make it look like a suicide, really, you're going to ask now, as long now, if she kills herself, that's not going to be my fault, right? Right, right, right. I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, for a friend wants to know. That's, yeah, not me. <laughs> and then I noticed when Donnie's sort of having his, oh, beleaguered husband rants at the dishwasher toward the beginning of the of the episode, which shut up, Donnie. Uh, it, it, Donnie mentions that the drink cart hasn't been stocked. And I was like, hey, Felix is right. There was a drinks trolley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Also, <laughs> you know, once every, once all the guests have shown up at her house and like, why is it that they just let themselves in? But although I guess we see that before where Allison sends her kids off to Ainsley's house. Anyway, as I get off track. Allison has her fancy off-limits sign that she puts up at the top of the stairs. Which she clearly, like, did in calligraphy by hand. <laughs> I know, like, while everybody's setting up in the kitchen, probably. Uh-huh. And then and then she's got the ribbon to hold it at the top of the stairs, and she's trying to curl it with her thumbnail. Yes, I like things. Her life is kind of falling apart. She has her husband tied up downstairs, but she takes the time to hand calligraphy a sign and is trying to curl the ribbon. <laughs> I guess she couldn't just, find the scissors either. <laughs> yes, it's just very, very Allison. And then we get two Brave New World references in this in this episode. Fairly blatant ones, you know. We have we have Doctor Leakey introduced, and his first name is Aldous. Brave New World, of course, being written by Aldous Huxley. And then, of course, Delphine says to Cosima, "It's nice to have a friend in this Brave New World." And I almost wonder if. <sighs> It's almost like Delphine wanted her to know that she was a monitor. I mean, way to, way to clue in the, the person that you might, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, I know you're a clone. I suppose. I don't know. It's possible. Since that, just, that relationship is plenty complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not saying that that was necessarily her, her intention with that statement, but it, it's almost like, 
I, I don't know. It feels like a Freudian slip. It's 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 almost like she doesn't really want to be be deceptive and be monitoring somebody, and she's almost trying to be like, "Hey, I know who you are." <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's just me. So let us know what what you think of variations under domestication. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. And we're also on Twitter at TIE Podcast. This week, both the red and the white wine were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening.